Hey, um, I just want to start this episode by giving a little content warning. Today we're going to be talking about sex very frankly and very openly. I won't say it's excessive, but we definitely use some words that people may not be totally comfortable with. So just to let you know. I hope you enjoy the show. So today on Strangers in China, we're talking about something that I didn't feel totally comfortable talking about myself. So I brought on my friend Yuki. So who are you? Tell me about yourself. My name is Yuki, and my Chinese name is Yu Shiyao.、Uh, I'm from Xi'an and Shanghai, and I went to school when I was like 17 in Virginia for college, and came back here,、um, you know, to Shanghai about four or five years ago, and became an artist and life coach. What are we What are we talking about today? Talking about penis and vagina and their relationship to each other in China. Oh my God! <laughs> Is it just has to be penis to vagina? And or vagina. Okay. Plurals. I think unfortunately we're going to talk a lot about penis and vagina today, and not enough penis on penis or vagina on vagina action. Yeah, yeah. We're talking about sex. So. Who are we talking to today? My name is Ying Wang. I was born in Shanghai, but I've lived all over the place. I majored in psychology and English, and then I got my PhD in psychology. I call her Ying. She's the owner of V Spot. V Spot. V Spot. That's the name of the shop. V Spot is the name of the shop. It's a sex shop. Why were you interested in talking to the owner? Of a sex shop, I I'm interested in talking to people who is daring enough to be in this business. I think for whatever I do, my interest is in gaining freedom. I felt constrained in my own sexual expressions. I still do feel that lots of times. So I want to continuously learn and improve and be more expressive and have more fun. I'm glad I have you here because I feel like you say you might have some boundaries about how to express yourself sexually. I definitely have boundaries、mm. about how I express myself sexually. So、yeah. I'm glad to have somebody who's a little bit more open talk- to talking about sex to do this、mm. episode with. It was a surprise to see a American white man <laughs> being a little bit more shy than a Chinese girl, huh? It's just my、uh, puritanical New England upbringing, possibly. Right, right. So proper. So proper. <laughs> But I would say, I would say that if today, if our conversation is conducted in Mandarin Chinese, I probably would feel too shameful to talk to you about all my opinions and all my experiences. I think English gives me a a key or a bridge that bypasses my shame. And you have a blog too, where you speak about your sex life in English. Pretty much so, yeah. Sometimes I throw some Chinese content in there, but never about sex. Why do you want to write about your sex life? Because I think it's therapeutical.、Uh, if I hide something, it sometimes becomes shameful. By me talking about it, it helps other people to embrace themselves more. Chapter six. Let's talk dirty, cleanly. So when we went to Ying's shop, where did we begin? Before we start to talk about sex with Ying, she gave us a tour. So just kind of show me around. What's, what's、okay. this over here? This is our uh, studio. Um, so we use it for pole classes, burlesque classes. Yeah, just a、uh, multifunctional space. Where we have parties. You tell me what those big yellow clamps are up there. Those those,、uh, those clamps are for us to hang things, right? Mostly we use them to hang people for <laughs>、um, shibari classes. So shibari is a Japanese、uh, rope art, and a lot of times they hang people up、um, and put them into different poses. So yeah, those are the rigging points that we use. Tell me, like, what's like the overall vibe? Like, what does it feel like to walk in there? I walked in there feeling like it's very normal to have a sex shop. Yeah. As if, yeah, of course you go buy some vegetables, pick up a cigarette, and then grab a sex toy. You know, just as as a routine.、Uh, no shame whatsoever. The windows were very big, and so like that brightness in there also removes the embarrassment. 
I would say, yeah. I'll say this, it definitely makes people who might be nervous about going into a sex shop feel like very safe and welcome. It's yeah. like very serious and very like seriously sexy and yeah. romantic almost. Yeah, it felt like a successful sex toy shop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Friday night is actually our social night. Friday night, it was a BDSM themed night. So um, it's really for people who are curious about BDSM or want to meet people who practice BDSM. So they can bring their toys if they want to. But uh, it turns out that a lot of people come um, to practice their uh, shibari as well because we just have a lot of students who who take shibari classes here. Yeah, so incidentally, the Friday before we interviewed her, I happened to have gone to a BDSM event there. Oh, so, okay, I'm very jealous you went to the BDSM event. What was it like? Well, it was, it was pretty cool. The one thing I really want to note, actually, is that Almost all of the participants were Chinese. Many events that you go to in Shanghai that are more like, you know, liberal minded, mm -hmm. risque, you see mostly or at least half populated with foreigners. Expats, yeah. Mm -hmm. But no, it was almost entirely Chinese folks. And wow. there was, I would say there was like a very strong sort of gender divide though. Yeah. It was like women definitely participating. Yes. And guys on the side, like very interested, very excited, but like, sort of a little hesitant to get involved. Mm. Some guys definitely got involved, but there mm. was a lot of like, ooh, that's so cool, but I don't know. Did you get involved? I did not. I did uh. not. I would, yeah. I'm, you know me. I'm just a little <laughs> nervous Watching, about Watching, observing. One of my friends, though, who I went with, they were doing shibari, did get tied up, and he, he got a little bit whipped and spanked. I, I understand that uh, with some BDSM stuff that there is some danger involved in using some of the equipment. Do you guys sort of give coaching about how to proper and safe use? Our BDSM classes are designed to do that. And I think there's two aspects to it. One is physical danger. So for example, like a lot of people think about impact play, right? Like um, spanking, whipping. Um, and you're right, there's a level of danger involved. There are parts of the body that you should avoid. And I don't think people generally understand um, how to spank or whip or whatever properly. So we have classes that talk about that. And then there's a, the emotional aspect of uh, that as well, right? Like what differentiates uh, BDSM from say torture, right? Or, or sexual violence, it's consent. But I don't think people really think about uh, consent properly, so we talk about that as well. Uh, what's sane and and safe? I think she's so right about asking for consent. I was experiencing something at workplace the other day where I was the one who wasn't clear. Basically, I assumed consent without actually getting a clear yes, and that makes me realize, yeah, the culture I grew up in is pretty vague. There are lots of assumptions, unspoken, you know, underlying messages, and that gets people into trouble, even me, as a girl. <laughs> yeah, I do believe that uh, BDSM or not, um, consent is such a great lesson, like lesson one one for any people, girls and boys. Yeah, I was I was gonna say like she was talking about BDSM there, but I think those are just great general rules for sex in general, or yeah. basically Life. doing anything cooperative. Yes. <laughs> It's actually kind of funny. We have uh, students here uh, in our BDSM classes who um, come for the first time and they're like, you know, I cannot tell my wife about this. But not because they're, you know, ashamed to, to um, be engaged in that with their wife, but his point was more like, I need to learn this properly before I can bring her into this. Right. Yeah. He doesn't want to make, make an embarrassment of himself. Right, 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 exactly. He feels like he should be more knowledgeable about it, which I thought was really cute. Then we ask her, hey, what's your best seller? What's the most popular merchandise in the store? And guess what the answer is? Duh, vibrators. Um, well, you know, we've, we've kept on adding to our vibrator selection. We really want to bring more brands here. Form 2 sells really well because... Um, Aesthetically, I mean, this is kind of cute, right? Um, and people find it very non-offensive. It's actually a very powerful toy with dual motors. 
So yeah, people like that. It's discreet. It's small. I heard that if you put it against <laughs> your nose, like if you can you're an your expert. Nose. Yeah. So people try to test them on you know hands and things, but that's not really a good test. I just want to point out to the listenership: the only time I've ever been called an expert in anything is about vibrators that are marketed to women. <laughs> I am utterly shocked and speechless. Playing I mean, the way to tell you know what's a good vibrator is that. The vibration feels different, right? There's a a very superficial rumble versus a deep rumble, and those feel different.、Um, so yeah, to to try out how that vibration will feel, it's it's better if you put it against your your nose. So after we had a little tour, we sat down with Ying and talked more in depth. Right. So, like, what did we、uh, get into with her? At first, we talked about why she opened the store and her philosophy, and then we broadened our perspective by talking about the history and landscape of China's sex life. And then we zoomed into her clients and what were their interests and challenges with sex. Well,、um, let's dive into her perspective on opening the shop and her personal history a little bit. So, I've had a couple of occasions where、uh, friends or people tell me that they are reluctant about buying sex toys because number one, they feel like you know, for true, if you have true love, you should not have to use sex toys,、mm-hmm. and sex should just be good. And、uh, there's another voice that that's like, well, if you use Uh, sex toys now, you know what's going to happen. The, it, are you going to get like desensitized, right? And sex will no longer be good, which is really weird to me, right? I mean, if you think about、uh, an analogy, right, like food, nobody ever thinks, oh, you know, I don't want to、uh, have too much of a variety in cooking, right? Like have Thai cuisine and then Chinese cuisine and whatnot, because what if I get sick of you know home cooking or you know I will no longer appreciate other food? It, it's it's just really weird that people would worry about having too exciting of a sex life with sex toys. Clay, what's your favorite kind of cuisine? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to answer that question. Use the metaphor for food. Do you do you think of sex like food in some ways? Yeah, in some ways. I mean, first of all,、uh, both are are biological needs, right? Basic biological needs. You need、um, food to survive, and you need sex. That's that's a basic human drive, right? But、um, in another way. Food or dinners or whatever is also an interesting time for social bonding. So when you have a dinner, it's not just the food that you're appreciating; it is the relationship that you're having with who you're eating with. And same same thing with sex, right? It's also so much about intimacy and relationships. So it's an in, emotional need、um, as well as a physical physiological one. What was your sex education like? I feel like、um, even in North America, when you have sex education, it's not like you know a full-on sex education where you explore things properly. You probably just have you know one or two classes where you talk about the basics, reproduction, STDs, sort of things. So yeah, I think that's the extent of my sex education as well. What kind of understandings did your parents have about sex, and like, like, what did you guys talk about when it came to sex? My mom grew up in the、um, Cultural Revolution、um, era of China and didn't really have formal education, but、uh, you know, afterwards she got a PhD.、Um, yeah, she got her PhD just before I did, which pissed me off. But、um, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, they're both teachers, and. I think because of that, they've always been closer to younger generation, and they are a lot more open about、um, sexuality. I remember bringing my my parents to Good Vibes in the Bay Area, which is a famous、um, sex toy shop,、um, and yeah, my mom was quite、um, uh, amused. Yeah, so there were some exchanges. Uh, this kind of surprised me about her parents. Like they seem pretty open-minded. Like not、yeah. completely closed off. I wouldn't even bring my parents to a sex shop. So, tell me a little bit about like your personal sex education, Yuki. Yeah, it sucks. I just remember we had maybe two classes、uh, where we saw some pictures about male genitalia. I don't even remember <laughs> we see anything about vagina in that class. 
and the boys were acting out and wasn't a very chill mood. It was more like, oh, we were all feeling embarrassed. But I do, I did remember like reading more about puberty from bookstores on my own, and I was like standing from the shelf and grabbing the books and reading them as if I'm doing something bad. When talking about sex, there's definitely this generational divide. No one wants to talk to their parents about sex, but I feel like that's especially true in China. So, what's your experience with that? So awkward. I have never bring them to the sex toy shop neither. And I think for many years I act as a virgin in front of them, and it's just very difficult for them to comprehend their little girl, their little pure, precious princess being in some you know man's arm before marriage. But maybe they are more open to it than I think they are. But we just never talk about it. So you basically have no communication with your family about sex. Uh, yeah. It's just so funny. There's like this strange contrast with you because it's like I feel like you're one of the most sexually open people that honestly that I know. But you would never tell your parents about that. Like, what a double life! What a double life! I need a psychologist, man. <laughs> um, do you have like an example of like you just had such a lack of sexual education that? It really ruined your life. <laughs> yeah, oh, it didn't ruin my life, but it definitely ruined my first、uh, boyfriend. So I was a virgin when I came to the states for、uh, college, and I met my first、uh, boyfriend. He was actually from my hometown, Xi'an, and we just argued and argued. And、uh, after two months, he dumped me. And part of the reason we broke up was I thought I was pregnant. We didn't even have sex. <laughs> <laughs> we did some stuff, but I was so insecure, and I went online and I went to a website to see how do I know if I'm pregnant. And the website is was a fake one, and it、uh, had a scanner that scanned me and says, "Congratulations, you're pregnant." And I just cried, <laughs> and I called him and told him about it, and he just. He just, you know, probably thought I was the most ridiculous girl ever. <laughs> I think that lack of understanding is like the impetus for why Ying opened her shop,、um, and I think the specific reason she wanted to open her shop is to really show women how to have better sex. You know, again from personal experience, you know, we don't talk about、uh, sex in the in positive terms, right? Like even for. Better sex education. You don't really talk about, for example, for women. How do you? How do you have an orgasm? Right.、Um, what do you do to have an orgasm? What are the parts that you need to touch? How do you masturbate? How do you whatever have sex? So, for example, like when you have orgasm the first turn for first time, that's quite you know life altering, right? You're like, wow, that's what it's like. And for women, they tend to that tends to happen quite late. So that's when you realize that women are just not equal, right? Like we were not enjoying this equal right to orgasm. Do you feel like among your friends and just just people you know generally, like this is definitely a problem? Oh yeah, definitely. I, for one, and so many of my friends,、uh, we have so little understanding on how to come and come、uh, easily. Yeah. yeah, it's such a big issue. I, and I think it's it's worth pointing out, like you live in Shanghai, like、mm-hmm. this is the biggest metropolitan yeah, city. Yeah, you think, yeah. You think people would know how to do that, right? <laughs>、mm-hmm. I think like the impetus for her opening the shop, it seems like, is that she wants to help women come, and I think she does that really well by cultivating an atmosphere that's like very normal seeming. Exactly, it's not dirty or you know. Shameful. It just makes you know sex toy shopping very normal and sophisticated. Why did you really want to open the shop? Remember, I was telling you about bringing my parents just to good vibes. Well, at the time, I just thought that good vibes is a cool idea that was a little disappointing. It's not you know like shady or too explicit or whatever, but. Uh, I also thought, I mean, it's a little bit too medical in a way. Like everything's just like white,、uh, and it's not, you know, like fun. And so I always thought that, hey, this would be a good idea, but if only it were a little, even a little bit better. And I thought, you know, Chinese women really need to have this conversation. And when my mom came and I took her to the store, and I I told her, you know,、uh, this is such a good idea, and、uh, we should do it in China in China as well, and she said the same thing. She's like, yeah,、um, Chinese women definitely need to learn more about orgasms. 
she she was telling me that、um, women of her generation didn't didn't even know about orgasm, right? They didn't know that it existed at all. That、um, it was just supposed to be an ordeal that they they would go through. So yeah, I just remembered. That planting a, a seed in my mind that you know this is in a conversation that could be impactful. I really just want this place to be a comfortable place where people feel like you know there's no shame going into, and that they should feel like it's somewhere that you can just shop on a weekend to get ready for a date, whether that's a date with yourself or with someone else. <laughs> So this may come as a surprise to some listeners because China is seen as like this conservative, sexually repressed place. I think by a lot of people, but China has a very developed sexual history, and I think we should just kind of talk about that and then talk about the landscape a little bit with Ying before we talk about more of the problems that people have today. Because I think actually understanding the history and the landscape really helps you understand why people have certain problems that they do with sex. Yeah, I think sex hasn't always been a taboo in Chinese culture. So、uh, even prostitution was a little bit more established and official. Going back in history, what you find is number one, like you know, regulated prostitution, both actually for men and for women. And then you have、uh, you have a lot of sex toys that people used. So, for example,、um, dildos carved out of wood.、Um, you would have cock rings. I think those were made out of sheepskin, but they also had like eyelash-like、uh, like hair on it for 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 stimulation. Yeah, the kegel balls,、uh, or also called benwa balls. They they had that for women. So they had a, a, quite a variety of. And you can still see that in some of the、um, traditional paintings.、Um, so shunga is the Japanese term for it, but in in China you had something、um, similar called chunghua, erotic it, art. Erotic, yeah. yeah, erotic art. Yeah, we have been proudly having sex for at least you know five thousand years. Of of course, you know we invented so many things like paper and you know whatever people have might disagree with me, but、uh, we must have invented toys. Well, yeah, there's definitely a history. I think people outside of China think of China as like a very sexually repressed place, and that perception probably comes from the past fifty years of more communist history. But if you study the history, you start to realize that actually China has had. Periods of open-mindedness about sex, and also periods of like deep repression of sex throughout its extremely long history. In Ming Dynasty, the、um, I think it started with、uh, a neo-Confucianist ideology, which which established that、uh, men and women should just have no contact. Right, like、um, a woman should. Rather die than have a, a man save her by, you know, carrying her across the river. That sort of things, like just no contact. And、um, so, you know, a woman's body is just a sacred、um, place. So, yeah, that that's when you know sexuality started to be a lot more muted and oppressed. So yeah, history has these ebbs and flows when it comes to sexual liberation. But what's relevant to our story is that China's currently awakening from this period where sex and sexuality was deeply repressed. Before opening and reforming in the 80s, people's sex lives were restrained. When the communists came to power in 1949, they viewed sex as this chaotic aspect of life that needed to be controlled. Sex, like everything else to those hardcore communists, became a means of production. Sex was confined to hetero marriages for the purpose of producing children. Before I was born, like during the Cultural Revolution era, I mean, there is no marital conjugation, right? Like, there's no enjoyment. Basically, marriage was basically just a partnership in name. There's nothing sexual, nothing emotional. It's just that you have a husband or wife who I don't know might not even be in the same city as you. But you're supposed to remain loyal to that person. So there's a big contrast between then and now. But it's important to point out this early communist era was the first time when people could get divorced. And there is an argument to be made about 
you know, that cultural revolution, young people could actually associate more. So there was a minor sexual awakening then. Right. That's really important to point out. Um, in all parts of history, repression in many cases goes hand in hand with other points of liberation. So, like, history is confusing like that. So, like, in the era that Ying's mom lived through, the Cultural Revolution era, before opening and reforming, China was seen as, like, this very sexually repressed place. I think that's how the narrative goes. But then there was, like, the opening and reforming era, the, the era of the 80s onwards till today. And China has become much more of an open place. Ying gives us a view of how things have really opened up since those days. Um, I feel like in the past 30 year, years, uh, things have definitely progressed, right? When I was a kid um, in China uh, in the 80s, I remember, you know, overhearing the story, and, and nobody obviously told me about it because I was a kid, right? And that's not the stuff you tell kids about, but. Uh, someone in the neighborhood was arrested um, for liu mang zui. So I think liu mang zui is a very specific, very particular term in China, right? And at the time I was like, well, what did he do? And nobody would tell me. But today I would probably think that it's because he might have touched someone's hands or kissed his girlfriend or something like that. And that was just not allowed, right? At least officially that's not allowed. After things, the uh, economic reform, I don't know if it's really liberated, but for women, sex almost became a commodity, right? Or a trading chip. Women probably used sex to your advantage. In that case, even though, you know, women were having more of it, but it still wasn't a case of equality, right? It was more of a case of exploitation. You know, so I think it's a complex picture to say how things have changed, right? Like from um, a very puritanical expectation um, to just sex is, it's like nothing, right? It's just enjoy it. I feel like the world as we know is already a very sexualized world. So I, I do think that people uh, are aware of sexuality. And they do see sexual products, sex toys. I mean, uh, like you, you were saying, you go downstairs to Family Mart, there are condoms and, you know, vibrators right there. Um, everyone has seen them, right? Yeah, I have to say, I was really surprised when I came to China and like every single convenience store has condoms and vibrators and cock rings like right in the front. So, but, but like how, like how has China become so open um, I think culture is a result from uh, financial interests and human behavior. We are drawn to it. We buy more stuff when it's sexy. You know, we catch our attention more. Yeah, and I think uh, talking sort of historically, a very uniquely Chinese reason that like China has become more sexually open is actually the one-child policy, if you think about it. So I think in the West, we think of the one-child policy as this kind of strange human rights nightmare in a lot of ways. But one thing we kind of neglect is that there are these strange positive consequences. Um, yeah, and, you know, I'm an only child because my generation of you know, babies, we are mostly only children. Like, for example, like my parents, they could only have one kid. That means they, could, they need to invest a lot more to, you know, condoms and... Um, they probably have more freedom to have sex as well. The fact that you can only have one kid and China, the government obviously recognizes that people aren't going to stop having sex. Like they have to provide contraception. They have to make a, a, abortion fairly accessible. Another unintended consequence of the one child policy. It used to be that in China, you would want to only have male children, right? But if you have a few female child now, you put invest a lot more time, a lot more money, a lot more education into your female child. So this has actually led to better outcomes for women. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, I grew up feeling proud to be a girl, and also my parents were so devoted to my education, and of course. You know, as I got more educated and more um, resources to travel and to start my own business, then I feel more empowered and that empowerment translates to myself, uh, to my sex life as well. 
Right, so Ying's business is sort of right at the intersection of these two trends. Women feeling more sexually liberated and people being more curious about sex. Yeah, and I hope um, just like financial distribution, I hope this pleasuring sex can also be distributed evenly. I hope <laughs> so too. Yeah. That, that would be, that, that's real communism. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question for you. Are okay. people having good sex in China? Uh, that's a very dumb question. <laughs> it's too general. You know, I think there are definitely people having good sex. Um, but let's hear what Ying has to say about her customers and their complaints. We have Tackle Tuesdays. Sorry, bad recording there. She said Tackle Tuesdays, like tackle an issue where we talk about um, sexual issues. Last Tuesday, some guy came and he's like, I just don't know how to express myself. I don't know how to talk to women. And that's because, you know, there's no such thing as dating culture in China, right? Like you're not allowed to um, have casual dates and explore relationships until you're, what, well into your 20s and you're just, you just have the, pres- the pressure to get married. Uh, no, no casual sex, you know, but no casual dating, just go ahead and get married and have kids already, right? So yeah, like for young people, you, you're not allowed to explore your sexuality and preferences. And then, yeah, for parents, parents, um, once you have kids, you're not supposed to fool around and enjoy each other anymore, right? You should just be devoting your um, life to, to kids and forget about anything that could be perceived as improper. So I think what... Ying presents there is a little bit of a generalization about people's sort of like life sequence generally in China. But like, like, how do you feel about that? Do you feel like that's true? Does that feel true to you? My experience was it was punished. You might even be expelled from school if you date any any time before you're an adult. But basically we get punished for having urges. You know, we had to surprise it. Um, and that doesn't build a foundation for us freely expressing ourselves. So right after we enter college, yes, we're encouraged to date, to find someone successful, form a family. And then some people, they don't immediately do that. And then they get ashamed for being single in their 20s. And uh, I have experienced where going back to my hometown in Chinese New Year and my family you know, be like, oh, we're going to bring back a boy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot of people that I, I've talked to in China talk about this pressure that they have throughout their early 20s, late 20s, that sex is supposed to be serious with your serious relationship and, like, you're supposed to get into a serious relationship and that's how it's supposed to be. Right, right. Because I think sex is being you know, mixed with family duty, your duty towards your parents. So it's like, doesn't stand alone. We we talk about this, this sort of problem where people aren't having enough experience in relationships and not having enough experience with sex. What is like the big overarching problem for people then when they do want to have sex? I think the biggest problem is the lack of communication. If I boil it down, uh, I think it's communication and knowledge, right? Like knowledge from all the years of lack of uh, sex education. So for example, female orgasm, how does that work, right? Like I don't think people know about it. But communication is the other part that's missing because uh, not only do they not talk to us, right? They don't even talk to each other, right? Like So customers will ask me like, okay, my girlfriend has low sex drive what do I do about it and I'm like how do I know you know like why don't you talk to her and and ask her you know what would make you happy right like I can't make a diagnosis based on this information right like but amazingly people don't want to talk to each other um, so Ying how can people communicate better whenever people think about communication they think does that mean, you know, talking about negative things, right? Like, oh, I'm not happy or I'm not, 
So I think it's easier if you start with the positive parts, like, oh, what you did today was really nice, or I really enjoy it when you do that. Then I think people are a little bit more open to talking about it because they don't feel like, okay, this is a criticism, or you know, I'm going to be offended, or I'm going to be belittled, or it's going to hurt my confidence. All right, let's talk about women. Here's something Ying said that I think really puts in perspective the anxieties of women having sex in China. Lelo, for example, has this、uh, product.、Um, it's not, you know, a special product or anything, but it's、um, the Kegel exercise balls that you put inside, and so it's, you know, for your pelvic floor exercise, right? And I think someone wrote about it uh, on Xiaohongshu,、uh, and、uh, that unit, like. Took off, right?、Uh, sales hit, you know, like tens of thousands, because you know women want to have orgasm, they just don't know how to. Okay, so well, like, what's like the big issue for women here? Ah,、uh, it's pretty simple. Women want to come. There's a lot of pressure internally because you want to orgasm,、uh, and or- orgasm is tied up with so, like so many other things, right? It's about relationship satisfaction,、um, and it comes from the other person too, right? Like guys feel like whether or not they can make you orgasm is like an indication of how skillful or good they are. So, you know, there are guys who ask,、uh, "Have you come yet?" or like, you know, "Come for me" or whatever, right? It's that kind of talk that. Puts a lot of emphasis on women to come, but I think、uh, there's this is just like a combination of things at work here, right? Number one, I think it's definitely good that men want to bring women pleasure, whether that's orgasm or not, right? So again, let's emphasize that sex doesn't have to include orgasm for it to be enjoyable, right? It just Can I make this person、uh, enjoy, you know, herself? That that I think is more important than asking,、um, can I make her come, right? But number two is how do you make someone come, right? Well, a lot of men think that orgasm is by penetration and a lot of thrusting. When you do it the wrong way, right? Then it's harder to, for a woman to orgasm, and then you add that on, you know, the pressure to come. Then it it becomes difficult、um, because, as I was saying, like you know, it's it's more about the clitoris, right? So it's actually not vaginal sex. It's more about oral or、uh, yeah, just foreplay that's more likely to make women have an orgasm.、Uh, women not coming during sex is because. People don't actually understand how women's bodies work, and women ourselves we don't neither sometimes. And sex is like like you know advertised like a game, and we all just like work towards this goal instead of just like enjoying the process. Well, I've I've got a question just more about like coming though generally. Like I know it's kind of personal, but like do you have any like experience with like like not coming or whatever, <laughs> <laughs> or people like not knowing what to do? Yeah, 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 sure.、Um, I have told this story a few times that,、um, you know, when I had my first boyfriend, we were together for like three and a half years, and I never came because I didn't know more about my body, right? So it was sex was, you know, not that great. <laughs> Question: Did you tell him that you did come? I didn't know I could come. <laughs> I didn't know what coming was,、uh, and then. I came back to Shanghai and I got really curious after watching the porn and stuff. So I went to Family Mart and I wanted to get a vibrator and I was so embarrassed. I even brought cash with me because maybe somehow psychologically I thought paying by my phone could、uh, let them trace it back to me or something. I was that embarrassed. And there was an old Shanghai grandpa wanting to buy a pack of cigarettes next to me and I put the package on the counter and just felt like a criminal. And then okay, so I you know toyed with the toy. And I came for the first time ever. That was when、well, I was like 22.、Uh, and from that point forward, my life has just changed. <laughs> <laughs> Do you really feel that way? Do you、yeah. actually feel that way? Oh gosh, I felt like I've been missing out for sure.、Uh, and also, I felt more in tune with my body.、Uh, so, getting back, just sort of like coming, just in general, like, is there like a deeper root to this problem? 
Uh, well, the real problem is actually for many women, sex is just an obligation, and they aren't empowered to have their own good experience. I remember, like you know, someone coming here with her friend, and she was trying to convince her friend to get a vibrator. She's like, "Well,、uh, didn't you say that you know, sex with your girl, your boyfriend is not so good? Why don't you buy something?" And the girl's just like, "No, she's like, that's not important. You know, that's, I, you know, I, I don't want that. I don't care about that in my relationship." So even though they would complain about the quality of sex in their relationship, they don't want to. Be seen as wanting to improve it because that should not be a focus. So they worry about、uh, being seen、um, as having wrong priorities. I think women in China,、um, similar to women everywhere, are just worried about slut shaming, right?、Mm-hmm. Like women with needs is still seen as a, a shameful thing, right? That women should not have needs, that they should not be too focused on sex. Uh, or wanting sex, so I think when you have slut shaming, women are not encouraged to explore their bodies, not encouraged to masturbate. Therefore, they don't know their body, right? And when they don't know their body, how, like, they cannot guide their boyfriends to give them pleasure, and they just think that oh, the guy、um, should be able to, to give me orgasm, right? And that doesn't help happen, right? Right. You know, she like lots of women. They don't think their pleasure is important because women's pleasure are linked to being slutty or you know something shameful,、uh, and this concept of women have to be pure—it's、uh, just very, very constraining. Um, so talking about women's pleasure, I don't think we've talked about how men kind of factor into this. So let's talk about men. What what is like the quintessential problem that men are having in this equation? Yeah, yeah. There was something that Ying said when we were on the tour that I think really represented a big problem. I was just saying that、um, we run a lot of classes that that、uh, teach about sexuality, right? And、um, women、uh, are. Quite enthusiastic about these taking these classes, but、um, men are not.、Um, yeah, men just don't want to come and be seen as not knowledgeable. Well, I mean that's pretty obvious, right? Like men don't need to go to classes because they basically know everything about sex, right? The cue and the horse you're riding on, Clay. <laughs> but all joking aside, there is a feeling that men or, or they just assume that they already know everything, like they don't have to learn. But see, that's the misplaced confidence. There's this idea that you're not supposed to be wrong as a guy. Like you're supposed to know how to do things automatically for no reason at all. But like there's this shame too in admitting that you don't know things. And I wonder if that's true for Chinese men as well.、Uh, yeah, if not more so.、Mm-hmm. Why do you say more so? I'm、um, just picturing my dad. Oh, let's get Freudian over here. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. <laughs> no, I think.、Um, I think in general, I just feel I just have this impression that, for example, my father, like he never admits if he doesn't know anything, and he's always the one pointing fingers, you know, when things goes wrong.、Um, so I think that's just an example of my experience with men. Men、uh, are fed so much misinformation、mm-hmm. because when you don't have sex education, you watch porn,、right. and porn gives you completely different answers, right? So yeah, like men think if I have big penis, if I can thrust for a long time, then you know I can get her off, right? It, they they see the ability as sort of central to, to their manhood. I think again, we were talking about female anatomy and how like、um, vaginal sex is not、uh, the most effective in making women come. So that men don't—that's something that men don't ever hear about, right? And again, they feel like they should—they should know how to do it、uh, naturally. I think they think of sexual prowess as a natural-born ability, but it's not, right? It's just as much as anything else. You know, how to drive a car, how do you ride a bike, how do you do anything else? Everything, you know, you can—you can learn it. All right, Clay. Time for you to get personal. Uh, no. Come on, that's not fair. I told you so much about my stuff. Does it sound like a familiar anxiety for you? 
Well, I don't want to speak for Chinese man, but I know that this definitely checks out with my own personal experience for sure. That's it. That's all you had to say. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, based on my own experience, I have a lot of anxiety about measuring up, and that my penis isn't some kind of magical key that like unlocks all orgasms or something like that. Like I felt. From my upbringing, that maybe that's how it should be. I should know how to treat a woman. I should know how to be sexy or something like that. And I I now know that that that's not the case. Like you have to learn these things.、Um, and I know that this isn't talked about enough. And I think that again, I can't speak for Chinese men, but I feel like that's sort of a universal male experience generally. But I feel like it's important that you know men have pressure for sure. We know it,、um, but、uh, ultimately it feels like a lot of the burden falls on women. And because men have these anxieties, and because men feel like they already know everything, women are missing out because you know again that lack of communication and these expectations from society. Yeah, and I also wanted to stress like our conversation today has been like <laughs> insanely heteronormative. Um, and there's just so many other topics that we haven't explored about sex in China that I really would love to do in like further episodes. This is just like a very like dip your toe in the shallow end of the pool kind of thing here. But like you know, I'd love to talk about sex for queer people, femininity, masculinity, roles of the binary gender in China, gender fluidity, beauty, sexual violence. All of these topics I really hope to like get to more on the podcast going forward. But anyway. We've talked a lot about sexual issues in China, but we're like living in this era in China where like things are actually getting better, probably for sex. I mean, it's sort of a mixed bag, right? Like more sex throughout China causes good and causes harm. But just like tell me some good news, Yuki. Yeah, well, let's remember that things are getting better in China, and pleasure has become more of a priority for women in sex, and men are getting more and more educated and、um, open-minded as well. And just for example, like I'm sitting here in Shanghai talking about sex with you,、uh, being a Chinese woman, and that shows something already. I think Shanghai,、uh, you definitely see that a lot of women are more. Uh, willing to、um, explore their sexualities, you know, they would come. They would tell me, "Oh, I already have this toy. I want to try something else." Or、um, people who would be like, "Okay, tell me what's a good one. I've never had toys." They're they're just brave, right, in coming in here to to state their needs. Yeah, I'm I'm already very impressed by by people who come here. They、um, take the time to. Choose what they like. People who come here for classes, they are generally, you know, very respectful of other people. So, you know, when you come for events, you see that、um, it's a really nice, friendly atmosphere.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. Let's let you get back to work,、uh, giving giving people pleasure, <laughs> helping them find a way. Awesome.、Mm-hmm. Right. Thank you so yeah, much. You. You're so welcome. Um. Yeah, I just really want to thank you for coming on and guest hosting with me, and I really, really want to thank you for like honestly being so open. Like, I find you like really brave to put yourself out yeah, there like that. Yeah, welcome. I feel like I need to be open because I was lucky to have the privilege of traveling, of studying abroad, and I was exposed to a variety of you know different cultures. And I feel like most people here haven't got the you know luck to do so. So I just feel this responsibility that. You know, I should share what I learned. Strangers in China is a member of the Seneca Network, powered by Sub China. This episode was mixed and mastered by Kaiser Kuo. It was produced by me, Clay, and it was written by me and Yuki. Listen up. We now have a Facebook page, so please, please, please follow us on Facebook if you're on Facebook. The cool thing about our Facebook page is that I'll add different notes from the show. We'll have different discussion topics, so so please follow us at Strangers in China on Facebook if you want to be part of the community and have good conversations, etc. Our Instagram is at Strangers in China. Our Twitter feed is at 
Stranger in China. Our title track is Analytical Skeletons by Cezus. Other music today was by Evan Schaefer, Dovey, Cezus, Lakey Inspired, Legang, Terry Skills, Purple Cat, Artist Unknown 2, Jack Major, Lofi, and Dixie. You can find all the music and research we used in this episode on our show page at subchina.com. I want to thank Nowness Shanghai for letting me use their studio space. Shout out to Monty. Hey, and just to let you know, if you want to hear more great content on China, you should definitely tune into the other podcasts on the Seneca Network. But you can also check out Mandarin Slang Guide. It's an indispensable resource for folks looking to improve their Chinese and just have a good time. Actually, so both Ying, our guest today, and I were featured on an upcoming episode of Mandarin Slang Guide. And Josh, the host, is not just a friend. He's a great translator, basically a walking English to Chinese dictionary. And just the embodiment of enthusiasm and joy in a way that's like infectious and not annoying at all. So if you love this show, check out Ying and me on the podcast, Mandarin Slang Guide. You can find it on Apple Podcasts and Himalaya. And I think our episode comes out December 13th. So look out for that. So check it out, Mandarin Slang Guide. Next time on Strangers in China. Is there also for like American college entrance, is there that kind of set, set oh, of yeah, roles? Oh yeah, exactly. Too? So it is so, so formulaic. It is so formulaic. Everybody knows. Nobody will tell you about it. You know, it's like uh, racism in the United States. You walk into a room, nobody, you know, everybody is nice, but you know what they're thinking. <laughs> hey, all you strangers, I'm glad you stuck around for our bonus. So on past episodes, we've talked a lot about censorship here in China. So I was sort of wondering, is there any sort of restrictions that Ying faces in opening a sex shop? I worry sometimes just because we are such a special shop that we also offer sex education and workshops and whatever content that um, sometimes we worry about those content being perceived as out of line. But I think if it's just products, as long as you're in um, a pre-approved location, like if there are locate, there are limits to where you can open a shop, mm. but as long as you meet those guidelines, then I think your shop is not going to be shut down. So for example, some of those uh, regulations, right, indicate that you sex shops cannot be close to schools. Um, it also depends on whether it's a high school, kindergarten. So, for example, you cannot be within 200 meter or whatever, right? Like from a kindergarten and 100 meter from high school or whatever. Uh, there are stricter regulations regarding condoms, for example. Okay. Yeah. Because like those are perceived as uh, medical devices. So you have to have a special license to sell those. Really? Yeah, which is really weird. If you say that you have a, you need a special license to sell, for example, electric stimulation products, I would understand that, right? Mm. Kind of, even though these days those products are made pretty safe. But condoms? Mm-hmm. Well, I think you're forgetting a big one because you just take it for granted. But you're not allowed to sell pornography. Oh, pornography, yeah, for, for sure. That's, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah books, videos, um, nudity, yeah, none of that. So yeah, we are taking a little bit of a risk by including some books here. Um, for example, uh, um, a book that's full of pictures of vulva. Uh, 